0: Great, the singing sounds fantastic. Once again, thank you all for the song leaders leading us in worship. And I'd like to welcome back Ray and Carol, who are back from their travels from somewhere around the world. But welcome back. Good to have you here. Probably in South Africa. Is that true? Philippines not not the Philippines bro it's South Africa come on man welcome great great to have you here uh, but we do have uh, someone also visiting from the Philippines as was mentioned so Carlos is family somewhere back there and where is Carlos by the way where always oh, in kids okay that's good. good family comes I'm out of here and then in about eight or nine months we're you know we're gonna have more people coming to New Zealand and over the weekend our hope volunteer Corps program which takes Takes place in December, filled up. So we have forty people coming from all over the world to come and spend a few weeks in New Zealand. We also have a few of our own membership going to participate in that. I believe I believe Sophie Baines is one of those. I believe Caleb Salud is one of those, and Peter is one of those as well. So yeah, and I, I think is Scott doing it as well? Ha <laughs> Sorry to put it on, you know what? Scott gives his heart anyway, whatever he does, wherever he is. So that's awesome. But that'll be exciting. So over 40 people come in for a couple weeks. And the goal is to help us connect to the community and serve. But also there's a secret ambition that many of them say, New Zealand's quite cool. Maybe they want to stay here and invest in New Zealand, you know? So that will be awesome. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians 5. That's where we are today. And we'll look at the latter half of that chapter. But I want to talk firstly about decisions in life that sometimes seem to go on the extremes. So occasionally we're faced with a decision or a choice and we might simplify by looking at the extremes of our choices. For instance, in parenting. So recently, one of my kids is emotional over a certain incident. And so at one extreme, my response can simply be Toughen up. Life's tough. Get on with it. It's all good. Right? I mean, that, that's kind of one, you know, and, and I think if you don't know what this is, this is a water bear. This is one of the toughest creatures on the planet. It may not look like it. It's microscopic. But it can live a decade without food. This is true. You look this up, the water, but this is true. It can survive exposure of over a thousand times that given to a human in radiation. It can even flat out survive in space. This is a real thing. This thing is crazy. So when my daughter comes... And she has I say, hey, You better be like the flat water bear. You should be able to survive decades. You'd be able to survive toughen up. That's kind of an extreme. Right? And that's not my norm parenting. No, no. Nor is that the most effective. <laughs> but so that's one extreme, and then on the other extreme, it's kind of the overly sensitive. I say good night. say, "Just have a good night." He just said, "Good night." I'm so sorry. Let me let me give you a hug. Let me give you a cuddle. Let me everything becomes accommodating. Let me just take care of you. And I'm so sorry that you feel like this. Just come on in, right? So that's kind of at the other extreme, and surely that's not the most effective either. So there's got to be some other more effective method. Toughen up. I'm so sorry. So I don't, I don't know quite how it all works out, but I'm trying to figure out that. Or for instance, if you think about spending money, one extreme is if something breaks, you just figure out a flat out way to fix it. There's a hole in the couch, just stick a chair down in there. <laughs> and, that's, and just keep going. That is a live photo from the brother's flat. <laughs> that's, I did I stole Megan's joke I just heard it because I could hear now and I stole it and that's her joke she just said that it was hey, hey, that's one extreme, you know, just, just sort it out, just figure it out. And then on the other extreme is just kind of spending money lavishly for no apparent reason. Like who needs a couch like this? Somebody said me. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's one extreme, you know, like there's this couch is, you know, it puts you right in front of the television and it's Wi-Fi, and everything is controlled by a chip in your brain and all this kind of stuff. But so those are, those are kind of two ridiculous extremes. And then you think about Christianity sometimes, can be viewed like that from the outside or, or even in the inside. It can be these extremes and, and, and it can be too much emphasis on rules. Don't forget God's commandment. Thou shalt not kill. By using mouthwash you're killing 99.9% of germs. Because bad breath. Prepare for hell. I mean, Christianity can be viewed like that. I don't want to be a Christian because it's so rule-centered and focused on regulations. But then you can swing the pendulum. On the other side, what is Petrus doing? (laughs) He's going to the extreme. He is swinging the pendulum. Thanks, bro. So on the other side, there's this idea that everybody's okay. There's a really cool, hip pastor that published a book several years ago that received lots of controversy and it was titled Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of everyone on earth. And his main conclusion was that in the end, everyone just goes to heaven because love wins. And you better believe that caused a lot of controversy. But so, it, even in Christianity, you, you see that, right? You see that. And so, that, that there's got to be a better option than swinging to the extreme. Does that make sense? And in our passage, we'll look at today, I I believe Paul has really poured his life out to the churches in Galatia, but what has emerged are these two extremes of their version of Christianity, and Paul offers an alternative, a more fruitful and effective way. What is that way? It's simply this, and it's our title for today, Living by the Spirit. That's the alternative. You don't focus on rules. Everybody's not okay. But the alternative is living by the Spirit. Let's pray. And if you haven't already, turn to Galatians 5. And then we'll read some verses. God, we're grateful to come before you and sing and worship and take communion. We also pray that as we read your scriptures, that they come to life for us, that they open our minds of the believers and non-believers, that they see something about you today in the scriptures or in the fellowship that prompts them to action. We pray for us as believers that your spirit really moves inside of us and, and calls us to action, not just personally, but as a community, to reach this city, to reach this country, to reach this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. We'll read to the end of the chapter. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, as was mentioned in our communion. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. That's kind of a Roman 7 thing. There's this spiritual tension battle going on. In verse 18, but... If you're led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's quite a list. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very strong statement there. Verse 22, in contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live By the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What's going on in Galatia? Which is a region, modern day Asia. There's two different extremes that are emerging in this region. One is people have come in and said it's all about the law. It's all about human effort. You must obey this, do this, not do this, but it's all about the here and now. It's all about obeying the law. And when you obey the law, that makes you perfect. That helps you achieve salvation. That's one end of the spectrum that's being taught in the region. Now, another one that emerged is, well, if we don't have a law, then we're kind of free to do whatever we want. We're free to sin more. We're free to use our freedom to engage in whatever we want to do. It's a looser kind of lifestyle. And now Paul starts to address that extreme. Don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Just because you're free doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to do. So there's these two extremes. I believe they're still evident in Christianity today, but it's, it's likely that his opponents are saying something like this. You've got to have the law and you've got to obey the law because if you don't have the law, there's no real standard or criteria and everybody's just going to run amok. And Paul says, no, no, no. Those are both equally dangerous extremes. Very dangerous. You don't make it all about human effort. And you don't misuse freedom. The, the real way to live Christian and to live as a disciple, by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. There, there's a very distinct way to avoid being moralistic and focused on humanism. And there's a very distinct way to avoid misusing our Christian freedom and it's living by the spirit. Three points. The spirit helps us die to the flesh, number 1. The spirit helps us serve one another, number 2. And the spirit, we need to keep in step with it, number 3. First of all, dying to the flesh, verse 24 in our passage says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucif- have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What are those passions? And desires. Well, Paul lists fifteen of them in verses 19 through 21. That's quite an extensive list. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not in any particular order. But at the top of it, sexual immorality. And anytime Paul writes one of these lists in Ephesians or Corinthians or Thessalonians, sexual immorality is at the top. Why? Because it's it's this idea you're sinning against your body, which is where the spirit resides. And it seems to warp your perspective and your mind and grieves the Holy Spirit. And so that's, that's at the top of that list. But if you read through it, it, it just becomes like an outpouring of chaos. Yeah. In other words, when, when you live a life that's governed by the flesh, it's chaotic. Yeah. And this is not just a list of what pagans do, although it's obvious in their behavior. It, it can be to anyone claiming to be a disciple as well. Yeah. That's why it says, don't use your freedom to do, to do this. And if you think, well, I'm not living a life like that. Maybe in the fellowship, there's what is going on here in Galatia. Verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Verse 26. Don't become conceited. Provoking, provoking is this idea of calling each other to combat. Mm-hmm. Don't provoke one another and envy each other. So even if you're not doing these wild and crazy obvious things... If, if, you're, if you're not being governed by the Spirit, it'll fracture your fellowship as well. That's what was going on in Corinth. And Paul says, look, for those that have been crucified, you've died to that kind of lifestyle. And let me be very clear is what he says. If you continue to live like this, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You you won't make it to heaven. Pagans that live like this or Christians that live like this won't make it if that's your lifestyle. He says, I warn you as I did before. That's what he says in verse 21. There's no warning in this chapter or the chapters previous. So you get the idea that when Paul first landed in Galatia and preached the gospel and they said, we want to become Christian. There's some point where he says, hey, let let me warn you guys. This lifestyle it's governed by the Spirit. And if you live a loose lifestyle, you won't make it. And then when he follows up with his letter, let me warn you, as I did before, you won't make it. Die to the flesh. Now, here's an interesting practice in a province in Indonesia. It's called the Toraja tribe. They have a ceremony, annual ceremony, where they cleanse corpses of family members they exhumed a body of a dead family member they clean them they groom them they put new clothes on them and in some instances they take selfies with them and then they parade around this is this is real they parade around a village with their dead family members because of this ritual it's become the second most tourist spot next to bali People want to go and see this. And, and this is absurd, okay? Yeah. The idea behind it is this kind of pagan ritual. But the idea behind it, let's, let's interact with our dead family members. How does that even happen? There's, there's obviously no interaction going on there. And what Paul is bringing to light is that you have died to your sinful pleasures, and desires, don't try to exhume the body and have fellowship with it. It's absurd. You've died with Christ. No more. Don't try to exhume it, clean it up, take selfies with it. It's done. It's gone. You've died to the flesh. To, to, to go back to a lifestyle as he's describing, is very similar to try to digging up these corpses, having fellowship with it. You've died to that. That's absurd. And so firstly, the spirit helps us die to the flesh. Our culture, our society certainly promotes the flesh, doesn't it? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But examine your lifestyle. How loose is it? Is it really governed by the spirit or do you think I'll be forgiven? It's okay. Maybe there's a loophole deeply back in your mind. You think I know this isn't the right thing to do. But there is grace. I'll be forgiven. I can do it and I can come back. It'll all be good. That's not what Paul is advocating here. The Spirit helps you die to the flesh. second thing to evaluate is your relationships. If you're governed by the Spirit, you'll have have deep, meaningful relationships. If you're governed by the flesh, you'll have fractured relationships. Paul says living by the Spirit means we die to our flesh. Secondly, means we serve one another. We should be engaged in serving one another. A very concrete example of living by the Spirit is how you interact with your brothers and your sisters. In verse 6 of chapter 5, he says something like that. The only thing that counts is faith, faith expressing itself through love. So there's this connection of being governed or animated by the Spirit at some point pours out into your relationships. In verse 13, You're called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And you hear that, it sounds, okay, amen. But if you read it slowly, there's a lot of qualifiers in there. Serving someone is one thing. Let me serve you, bro. Let me serve you, sis. Serving them humbly is kind of another level. Serving them humbly in love is a whole other plane. Right? So don't just serve, but serve each other humbly and serve them in love. And so Paul, he, he brings to life this idea. He says, the entire law in verse 14 is fulfilled in keeping this one command. What command? Love your neighbor I inverted it on there. You can see where my mind is. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's an extreme version of that, okay? (laughs) Love yourself as neighbor. I love God. Look how much I love myself. That's not what that means, all right? (laughs) But... The scripture. This to point you back to the Bible, right? That's the goal of that. It's a training exercise. Paul says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Now, that's very. I find that interesting. Why? Because when Jesus gets questioned, there's some teachers that come up to him. They say, "What's the greatest commandment?" What is the answer? Love the Lord your God, and the second is like it. So, what's going on here? Paul says, this one thing fulfills the whole law, love your neighbor. And Jesus says, here's the first thing, love your God. Why does he leave out that? What's, what's going on? What's the deal? I think anyone can say, I love God. And, well, show me the proof by how you love one another. There's a connection because Jesus equates them. The first one is love your God with all your heart. And then the second one is like it, love your neighbor. And Paul says the entire law can be fulfilled in this. Because if you say you love God and you're close to God, there's a deep connection with how you love other people. That's the proof in the pudding. Anybody can say that. In verse 13, he uses the word serve. Rather, serve one another humbly in love Dulio, which is translated as slave. So the interesting thing about Christianity, the paradox, is you go from slavery to sin, basically to slavery to serving one another. If you love God, if you're governed by the Spirit, there's this transition that occurs where you start loving your brothers and sisters. Once you have the... You know, when when you're not a, a disciple of Jesus, the gravitational force of sin has its way with you. It pulls you in whatever direction, and you're a slave to that. Now, Paul says, because we have the Spirit, that same gravitational pull goes the opposite direction, and you start serving one another. You start loving one another. And that gravitational pull brings you close to one another. In university, I read a book by George Eliot called Silas Marner. It's a novel about a man called Silas Marner who leaves his community and goes to this different community and he works as a weaver and he makes a small fortune and he keeps that fortune in his tiny little house of gold coins. And so occasionally, or often, he'll pull out his gold coins and he'll count them and he's so happy. He polishes his gold coins. He admires his gold coins. He's like overjoyed by his tiny little fortune. And then it gets stolen, <laughs> and he doesn't know who stole it. But but when it's stolen, he kind of goes into a depression for a little while. And and the the, the book concludes when an orphan kind of runs into his house accidentally, and he starts taking care of her. And he realized, like, I was so focused on this gold that I, but now I I was so consumed by it. I polished my money, and I was I only thought about that, and it robbed, it got taken away. But now when I'm focusing on taking care of this little girl, like it actually brings me genuine joy. And that's kind of the conclusion he, he reaches to. There's actual joy, true genuine joy in helping other people. And, and, and so think about this in our life, because I know there are times in my life where I would kind of spiritually polish my coins. I would say, man, I really read my Bible pretty well. I, I dig into it. But there was really no helping anybody else. But it was just kind of, mm, it's obvious they're not reading their Bible as much as I am. <laughs> Polishing my coins. You know, that, that's to my shame. But that, that's what this guy's doing in this book. And, and, and often, my own perceived spirituality wasn't really what it was. I may think I'm a spiritual guy, but the very fact that I wasn't serving anyone else indicted me. That's what indicted me. And so, I I believe it's helpful just to kind of... We have these small groups in our church for a reason. Because you can't meet the needs of everyone. But if you say you love God, you serve your brothers and your sisters. You don't polish your own coins. When's the last time you deliberately initiated and followed through to actually serve someone? And I'm not talking about something someone else organized. Organized. I'm talking about since you're governed by the Spirit, you're prompted to say, hey, there's a need. with my brother, my sister, let me stop polishing my own coins. Let let me help serve someone. And and I believe that we can't have little pockets of this. We have to have the entire church serving one another, right? To to be a community that thrives. Maybe you are serving. Amen. That's awesome. But I'm sure you know someone who isn't. I'm sure we do. So the goal then is to, hey, you love God, you're governed by the Spirit. That's the outpouring of it. Serving other people. There's different forms of service. There's no one right way, but you can cook for somebody. You can clean for somebody. You can teach somebody. You you can do a wide range of things for each other, right? But the goal is serving one another because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Third and lastly, we keep in step. With the Spirit. We keep in step. Four times in this passage, he uses some kind of phrase like that. In verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit. In verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit over and over again. Again, Paul is, is, is really attacking these two extremes. And he says, it's not about law. It's not about misusing freedom. It's about living by the Spirit. Amen. That's what matters. But what does all that mean? It can sound vague. Verse 22 is interesting because it says, the fruit of the Spirit. And then it goes on to list nine different qualities. And it is interesting that its fruit is singular. We often, and I think I've thought this, and you probably thought this, we often think the fruits of the Spirit, and I'm going to concentrate on one of the fruits. But the way this works is that its fruit, singular, produces a wide variety of responses. And so it's not like, let me just concentrate on one. It's the Spirit produces all of that. This isn't exhausted, by the way. But so it's helpful to think about because oh, let me just focus on one at a time. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things come from the Spirit. That's the fruit of it. That's what it produces. And the other interesting comment is that it's deliberately contrasted with the acts of the flesh. The acts of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. Acts of the flesh, fruit of the the spirit yes. acts of the flesh those are works those are deliberate things you do that produces this result mm-hmm. you're sexually immoral it twists your mind it twists your it twists your entire being Your whatever the whatever the other sins are in nineteen you hate someone that that's the act you do and it has a result you are in conflict with one another that has a result there's drunkenness that has a result those are all acts that you do. In deliberate contrast, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. That is nothing you or I do. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Full stop. And Those who grow or try to grow plants probably know this from experience. If you've ever been to John Smith's house and been in his backyard, you've seen all the stuff that he has growing there. But however much he protects his plants or takes care of them from the good or bad weather or insects, at the end of the day, he doesn't physically enter into the ground and, like, produce these plants. (laughs) That's accurate, isn't it, John? (laughs) But, so at the end of the day, well, he's an excellent gardener, but at the end of the day, it's not because of his ingenuity or his agricultural prowess that that's what happens. He doesn't make it grow. And that 's the thing with fruit it 's the fruit of the spirit it 's not like you or I do anything in this thing in, in that sense you know and, and it 's a product of the Holy Spirit. the Holy Spirit lives inside of you it kind of dynamically produces fruit well that 's what it ought to do and another interesting point about it is there is a conflict verses sixteen through eighteen there's this spiritual tension the flesh versus the spirit the spirit opposes the flesh, the flesh opposes the spirit. And in the end, though, there is this tension of, you know, I know I shouldn't do this, but the Spirit's trying me to, to get me to do this. But what happens is the Spirit, like, overthrows the flesh and replaces all of that sin with fruit of the Spirit, if you allow it to, if you keep in step with the Spirit. So as Paul thinks about the churches in Galatia and, and their extremes, he says, You guys got it all wrong you're trying to you're trying to produce fruit on your own strength it's fruit of the spirit you're trying to be control you're trying to live a loose lifestyle no you're trying to use your freedom in the wrong way no when you're governed by the spirit you serve one another you got to keep in step with the spirit one of the great psalms is chapter 1 verse 3 a tree planted by streams of water yields its fruit in season That's such a great psalm. It is plant the the tree there and it gains the nutrients from the water and when the season comes, it bears its fruit as a result of being planted next to the stream. And this is such an important concept for Paul. Again, if, if you read through his writings, the Spirit is highly emphasized. And here he says, this is how you live by the Spirit. And what does this look like? In our lives. Well, first, I think you and me and us have to realize it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about us. It's about the Holy Spirit animating all of us. If you were to look at the CV of the Holy Spirit, it would be quite impressive, okay? I mean, it's a driving force in the Bible. It opens with the Spirit hovering and it's involved in creation. That's one of the little bullet points on the CV of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and fills the temple in the Old Testament. It helps bring Israel back from exile. And the imagery there is it comes and brings dead bones to life. The Spirit does that. If you read through the ministry of Jesus, it's the Spirit animating His ministry. You read through the book of Acts, it's the Spirit animating the church. You read through the letters, it's the Spirit dwelling inside of you and me and us that should animate all of us. So it's not about us, and and it's not about what we're not doing or doing, although we're not to be passive, but the Spirit is what is the engine inside of us accomplishing all of this. It also means that there's an internal prompting. I, I, I believe we need leadership. I believe we need people shepherding. But this passage says there's something inside of you calling you to action. You don't need to be told what to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't need to be encouraged and propped up. If you have the Holy Spirit, it, it's producing, it's trying to produce something in you. And, and you think about, ah, I'm frustrated because I'm not doing this or I'm insecure because I didn't do this. Well, that's, it's, it's not thinking about, hey, you know what? The Spirit yeah. takes care of all that. If you're insecure, if you're frustrated, or whatever all those things, there's a standard you're trying to live up to that you'll never live up to. And only the Spirit can help you overcome that. But keeping in step with the Spirit doesn't mean we're passive. Either. Doesn't mean we kick back and say, I'm just going to wait for the Spirit to blow. <laughs> and when it blows, I'll go. You know, like, that, that's, that's not it either. It's, it's being alert. It's being attentive. To the Holy Spirit. And the problem with that is we're all ordinarily just too busy to hear the Spirit. We're overbooked. We're overcrowded. We're too noisy. Just in life, we need time away by the stream, planting ourselves in the Word of God, allowing the Spirit to animate our minds, animate our hearts, produce its fruit, And it keeps us away from these extremes. You can tell when somebody's listening to you in a conversation or someone's not listening to you in a conversation. Distractions. That's the big thing nowadays. It's similar spiritually. When we're not... Our our part is just to stay close to God. Let me read. Let me stay close to the stream. Let me read my Bible first thing. And let the Spirit produce fruit. And let it animate me. And let it call me to action. As we conclude this morning life by the spirit as with many things there there are different extremes Paul sees the extremes here he says you cannot achieve salvation by human effort it's humanistic it's moralistic it never works you can't misuse your freedom you guys have got it wrong it's all about the spirit Life in the Spirit. And what does that do? It helps us die to our flesh. It helps us die to those sinful desires. It helps us and it prompts us to serve humbly and in love one another. And lastly, when we keep in step with the Spirit, it produces the fruit it's designed to produce. Let us all be like the tree planted by a stream. Let us all keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Amen.